In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Those are the first five verses of Psalm 11, which along with Psalm 10 are the Psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. I appreciate you being with me today. We are continuing our look at Job, uh, the book of Job, and, and today we're in the sixth chapter, verses 1 to 4, 8 to 15, and 21. It's Job's response after Eliphaz the Temanite, whose response to Job we saw yesterday. It's his response to the speech that Eliphaz had made. And then we get also in the gospel today, John 6, verse 60 to 71, and then in the Acts of the Apostles, we're in chapter 9, verses 32 to 43. So, Eliphaz has said, you know, you need to trust in the Lord, Job, and this is his discipline, which would imply there's something that's required here, that there's sin in Job's life that he hasn't dealt with or been honest about, and he just needs to accept this from the Lord and, and repent and get over it, and now you can move forward to your life again. That, that's the pattern, Job. That's what you need to do. And Job's response is, he answered and said, oh, that my vexation were weighed and all my calamity laid in the balance. For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea, therefore my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are in me, my spirit drinks their poison, the terrors of God are arrayed against me. I mean, it, it, this is a, he's in abject misery, and Eliphaz is, is giving him sort of religious platitudes that have more to do with karma than they do with Yahweh. And so he's saying, this is so hard, it's so deep, my wounds are so deep, the pain is so great that, that it's immeasurable. It's heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words have been rash. Yeah, with all I'm going through, maybe I am speaking a little bit rashly, but I'm going through hell here. And nobody seems to appreciate that. Nobody appreciates my suffering. They want to tell me why I'm suffering. And they want to tell me in some religious terms, and it actually what's going on here is I don't understand because I know that I haven't sinned. I'm not hiding something from God. I'm not hiding something from you. He says, oh, that I might have my request and that God will fulfill my hope. So what is his hope? Well, we already know what his hope was because he said that in, in chapter 4 when he said, I wish that I'd never been born. In other words, I wish I weren't alive today. And he says that it would please God to crush me and that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. This would be my comfort. I would even exult in pain unsparing, for I have not denied the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should be patient? In other words, there's nothing left for me in this life. There's no reason for me to continue living. But he's not willing to go that extra step of cursing God, nor is he willing to go the extra step of ending his own life. He says, I just wish God would end it. The pain is too much, and there's no hope, and there's no future. What's my end that I should be patient? Why should I be patient waiting for the end of all this stuff? Because I don't, I'm so confused, I'm so in darkness right now that I, that I don't know what to do, and I can't see any light at the end of any tunnel. He said, is my strength the strength of stones, or is my flesh bronze? You know, I'm not an inanimate object here. 
I'm a man created in the image of God. I'm a man with feelings. I'm a man who is sentient. I'm not like bronze and stone. I might have strength and I might, but, but it's not that. I'm just a man. Have I any help in me when resource is driven from me? He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. My brothers are treacherous as a torrent bed, as torrential streams that pass away. And he's speaking of these men who have come there to be with him, purportedly to comfort him, but mostly what they've come for is to lecture him and to tell him that this stuff is a result of sin, Job. We know that. You're not the man you think you are. You're not the man you say you are. We know because we heard the conversation at the beginning of the book that he is. He's exactly the man that he says that he is. God says it, so I know it. It's it's a a powerful response that Job gives here because what he's pleading first is is, is that, no, I'm going to reiterate my plea, which is that I don't want to live anymore. There's nothing to live for. I'm broken. What's the benefit? of breaking me. I'm just a man. That's all that I am. And then ultimately, you know, he sent you here as my, quote, friends, and all you've done is make my misery worse by your words. It's it's the, the invective that Job is <laughs> using here is indeed strong, but he also, he lays the groundwork for why, and that is my pain is so great and my pain seems not to matter to you at all. Not at all. And it's, it's difficult to read these words and not feel for the man. But his friends just keep up this unrelenting line of attack against him. And, and you can just see that, that Job is, is pleading with God to show up. And, and, and he does, ultimately. But not with answers to Job's questions, because they can't be answered. Because Job wants to know why. Why did this happen? And God's not going to reveal all his counsel to you. And he can't in some ways because this story, Job's story, what, what God ends up telling him is, is that, that I know your story, Job. I see you. I hear you. I get it. But you can't possibly know the answer to the why question without understanding everything that I know as well. But trust me, Job, I've got you. I care about you. I love you enough to come and show up and and say these things to you. And then how comforted would Job be to know that thousands and thousands of years later, people still read his story and still find comfort from his story, find vexation and confusion as well. But because how could such things be in in God's world? Well, we don't know is the answer because we unmade God's world and we made the world made of the world what it is today on our own. He allowed us to do that. <clears throat> so answers are harder to come by for that reason, because we, we only live in a fallen world. The only world we know is a fallen world. And so it's difficult, now and impossible for us to understand the why of everything that occurs. But we just do know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Jesus here has just spoken to these disciples and explained that they have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And when many of the disciples, now this is not the 12, this is the larger group, um, heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? Because he's encouraging us to do something that is definitely not lawful, <laughs> which is to be cannibals on his flesh and blood. So, uh, he, and he's not helping them. 
He's, he's not going in and saying, listen, here's what you need to understand. No, he, he doesn't do that, and there's a reason he doesn't do it. They've got to trust him when he speaks of spiritual things in the same way that he talked to Nicodemus about how will you understand spiritual things when you don't even understand the earthly things that I'm talking about. And here, that's exactly the situation. So they ask, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about it, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? And we know from the end of Matthew's gospel that some who, who were there and saw that even didn't believe. How, how could that be? <laughs> how could you doubt that? I mean, it was a figment of my imagination, I guess, a, a, a sleight of hand, something that, that really didn't happen. And that's the reason that I take great offense at those who would suggest that the resurrection of Jesus was not a bodily resurrection of Jesus, that it was some spiritual thing. Because if it was a, just a spiritual resurrection, then, then the reality is, is that there's no proof of that. It could just as easily be something that the disciples imagined to be real. But no, Jesus was at pains in the resurrection appearances to prove himself to be corporeal that there was a body involved. It wasn't just a spirit, because he eats with the disciples when they're sitting on the, she- on the seashore. So he asked, do you take offense? Then what, what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? And like I said, some doubted. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. And that's the same kinds of things that he said to the Samaritan woman and the people there that, that you have to worship in spirit and truth. And it's important for those things to be the basis of our worship is spirit and truth. He says, but there are some of you who don't believe. Parenthetically, John says, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And so later when he tells stories about there'll be those who said, we did all these things in your name, and, and he's going to look at him and say, I don't know you. I never knew you. Because they didn't truly know him. They, they had the same problem that Simon Magus that we just met a couple of days ago um, over in Samaria. The, the same problem that he had, in the beginning at least, and that is that he didn't believe. He thought it was some sort of a magic trick. He thought there was something he could purchase. And so he could make it work for himself in some way. And, and Jesus can say, you made it work for yourself, but that doesn't mean you knew me at all. I never knew you. <laughs> After this... Many, anyway, he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted by the Father. In other words, that no one comes unless the Father draws him. So it's, it's completely beginning to end. Our salvation is an act of God to draw us to himself. He takes all the initiative. No matter what we might perceive in ourselves, no, God took all the initiative, every single bit of it. And, and if he takes all the initiative in the beginning, then it can't be up to me at the end. It, he doesn't transfer responsibility to me. No, it's always about Jesus, period. End of sentence. So after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. I mean, in the beginning, we believed that you were the Holy One of God. Now we know it. We have made a transition from believing to knowing. Peter is confident that he doesn't just believe something anymore. He knows that it's true. Well, that confidence and that faith and that belief is all going to be shaken apart 
on Monday, Thursday, the Thursday prior to Good Friday. It's also going to be blown apart on Good Friday and Holy Saturday. And then until Jesus appears to them later, Peter maybe sort of kind of believed that Jesus had been resurrected, but it seems more likely that, that he didn't. He didn't believe that, that Jesus had been resurrected, or if he did, he didn't understand the full implications of that. So he, he can make this bold statement, because he always does, because <laughs> he's Peter, but, but he does make the right statement here. We, we can't leave you, because what we've heard from you, we know to be the words of eternal life, and so there's nowhere else for us to go. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon, Iscariot, for he, being one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And we know that he does. In this uh, gospel lesson today, we, we, chapter 9, most of chapter 9 is con- consumed with, with Paul's conversion and his beginning in the church. And then, so he has to leave Jerusalem and he's gone to Tarsus. And we're not sure how long he's in Tarsus. Could be a couple of years, could be 13, 14 years. It's not quite sure how long he's there. So, but we move on now from, from the story of Paul, and we go back to Peter. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. So Lydda would still be in Judea. It would still be in the land of Judah. It's, it's down towards Joppa, which is down on the, the southern coast of the Mediterranean in the land. So he, he goes down there. He's, like I said, he's still in the region of Judea. And so he goes down to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. (laughs) That's interesting, right? Jesus tells people to take up their bed and walk. Peter says, get up and make your bed. (laughs) It's, It's hilarious in some ways to see that he says that. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So the work, the miracle that, that Peter did in healing Aeneas in the same ways that Jesus always did, and he proclaims in the name of Jesus that healing is available. So now he's, this is the continuing work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in the early church. And so it's continuing to bring testimony to him, and these miracles authenticate the message. And they still do today. We think the message just completely stands alone, but, it, but my faith has been so immeasurably strengthened by the miracles I've seen God do, beginning with, with Will's healing in 2021. But then going back in time to my friend John Thompson, who was healed, even though his surgeon told me for weeks he was not going to live, but he did. And then other miracles that I've seen along the way. And so we need to, to always be willing to pray for a miracle. It'll strengthen our faith, and it'll strengthen the faith of those around who see these things. So there in Lydda and Sharon, they turned to the Lord because of they saw Aeneas. They got the proof that they needed, that there was power here. And that power attracts people. There's a reason for that, because we need that power. Now, it's not constantly being poured out. Everybody doesn't get healed. But the reality is, is that we need to see God's power at work in the world today. We need to see the continuing action of God in the world today. It's the way we know that he cares about us. It's not just that he gave his son, but that he continues to be present in the lives of believers and in the church. And he continues to do the kinds of things that draw attention to himself. So 
there was in Joppa, which is, again, a coastal city of major port, a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. So we know she's a disciple, that she was full of good works and acts of charity. So she's, she's a woman who would be greatly admired for her faith and her works. So in those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. And that's all they said. They didn't, they didn't tell him what was wrong and why he needed to come. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows sitting, stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. So they're, they're saying what a good woman she was and, and what a good seamstress she was. Look, she did all these things. She, she did all these things well. She's, she's a Proverbs woman, that excellent woman. She's, uh, she's here in this place, and, and here she is, and this is, this is who she was. So you can see her body, but we want you to see who she was. She was the one who did these things. So Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. So it's interesting the way that's worded. He didn't turn to Tabitha. He turned to the body. In other words, they're recognizing that there's no life in that body now. It's just a body because the life has gone out of it. And then he speaks to it and says, Tabitha, arise, which is exactly what Jesus said to the little girl who was the, the daughter of the synagogue ruler, Talitha Kum, little girl, arise. Here, Peter says the same thing, Tabitha, arise. It's exactly what he said to Aeneas, right? Rise and make your bed. So here, Peter calls her back to life, and she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand, and he raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. So it, we get these healings, these two healings, one in Lydda and one in Joppa, one where he raises somebody from the dead, one where he heals uh, Aeneas from an eight-year paralysis. And so the testimony about Peter is, is that there's a power in Peter. And, and he's quick to say, who is that power? What is that power? And it's the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he's not going to deny that. He, he raises Aeneas in the name of Jesus. And so it, what happens is, is that that authenticated the gospel. It authenticated the resurrection because that power had now been given through the Holy Spirit, which is poured out, to the disciples to those who, who believe, to the apostles particularly. And, and so what we, we can look at this and say, well, why did he raise her from the dead? Well, it's because God is the one who raised her from the dead at the end of the day. And so we know that it must have been God's will for some reason or another for her to have died and for her to have been raised from the dead. And we can imagine that from Joppa, this major seaport, then, then word would have gone out about this, not only in the town of Joppa and in the region of Judea where they are, but beyond that. It would have gone out into the world as sailors came and went through that seaport, as merchants came and went through that seaport. Then, then this word would have gone out to the nations about this thing that's happening in Jerusalem and Judea. So when we come as friends for people, one of the first things we have to do is do what Job's friends did, which was, was to wait and sit with him and then to listen but not just to listen to the voices of men, but to listen to the voices of God. 
See, these guys are just giving religious opinions to Job. Peter comes, he kneels and prays, and then says, Tabitha arrives, he had heard what the people had to say, and then he wanted to hear what God had to say in order that he could cooperate with God's will, that it wouldn't just be what he wanted or what they wanted. And it's the same thing in the gospel where Jesus has to tell these people, I'm going to let you go. I will let you walk away. We'll go down from 5,000 to 12 simply because it's all going to be based in spirit and truth. So you can listen to other people or you can listen to him. And then if you listen to him and you know that he alone has the words of eternal life, then you stay connected, even when there are things you don't understand, in the belief that ultimately all things will be made clear to me. I may not understand today, I may not understand in this life, but ultimately I will know and I will understand because I will see God.